Hey, Doug. Hey, Karen. Like, I just saw you. Well, funny thing is, you didn't see me. I know, I didn't see you, but, you know, we just spent time oh, together. Yeah, we talked. We did. We spent we spent time on the block. We did. And now here we are, rooming down on the boulevard. And here we go. So, hey, we've so, got a lot of TV stuff to talk about. We do, we do. Can I say very quickly mm-hmm. that... Um, we didn't do a boulevard last week, but I did want to talk about uh, 10 days ago or so was the Emmys and um, Succession okay. did pretty well for itself. And um, because we root for it so much, I just wanted to say that you've heard us talk about it at length in the past. So we were happy about that. Right, and Jeremy Strong won as opposed to Brian on the Best Actor. He did, he did. Jeremy Strong beat Brian. Yeah, which I mean, I don't, you know, I was sad for Brian, but like Brian already has an Emmy and that is a hard, that's a hard category picking between the two of them for who deserves best Oscar. And I, I mean, Emmy, Oscar, Emmy, same thing, but I do. Give them both to Brian. Give them both to Jeremy. I do feel like jeremy was given more range if that makes sense in the in i agree in the season he was given more ups and downs he was given more um he was kind of given more to work with and not that and brian i mean brian had plenty to work with and he was wonderful but i do feel like jeremy's character went through more um that made more sense in terms of the award but i was very happy oh i definitely agree yeah yeah, yeah, that was the one we were rooting for the most, and that was the one we were happiest happened. So yeah. yes, yes, yes. So yeah, um, we got a lot on tap tonight um, to to kind of go through. So what do, what are we hitting first? Well, I know that um, I've been catching up on some more TV, uh, mostly streaming, but. Um, I know that you also caught something. So, you know, we could do invisible rock, paper, scissors, or, you know, I could just be bold and start talking. So. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Um, I don't feel like doing rock, paper, scissors. Well, okay. I'll talk about one show. And then so people don't get incredibly sick of me, you can talk about a show. Okay. Okay. So, And I'm going to start really positive. Uh, because I don't think we've talked about the show in the past, Pen15 on Hulu. No. Um, tell me about this. It's now, it just dropped its second season, or more specifically, part one of its second season. Um, and it's co-created by its two stars, two actresses, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkel. Um, and it's they are around 30 years old, I think, now. But they are... They have created a show that relives their middle school days, which took place around like 2002 or whatever. So it's a very specific uh, kind of show, very much in the vein of Freaks and Geeks in that it is a comedy, but it's really like a cringeworthy dramedy because so much is about like embarrassing moments and heartbreaks and heightened emotion and that sort of thing. Um, The Gambit, I won't call it a gimmick, is that they, uh, both actresses play themselves. So they're basically like 30-ish playing 12 or 13. 
but everyone else around them is the actual age. So you is have the, a bunch okay. of <laughs> adolescent looking actors who were probably born in like 2006 surrounding them. Um, and the thing is, the these two women really do look with, you know, their costume, makeup, hair, everything, as though they could still pass for 12 or 13 years old. And it's a really sensitively written show and like the period details, you know, the, the posters on the bedroom walls and the music cues and everything feel almost entirely spot on. And I really loved the first season. Um, and I really liked the second season a lot. I'm curious to see how they sort of play the second half of the season whenever that drops, but they're really good, particularly Maya Erskine who plays the, um, um, I guess she's a little bit shyer of the two. Um, she's a Japanese American uh, character um, and well because she's a Japanese American person and um, you know the plots they set up feel a little bit more overtly dramatic as opposed to the first season which was a bit more subtle about the ways in which they were you know like the power dynamics of friendship there's one parent's uh, divorce is is looming larger that sort of thing um either way though it's i think a really terrific show i think it's really smartly written it did get an emmy nomination two seasons back when the first season dropped um for writing and i would love to see it get that or more uh oh, come cool. come next year's nominations so, so yeah i don't know if you guys <laughs> that are listening have watched it but that's a big recommendation it's seven episodes currently on hulu or if you're starting from the beginning it's 17 episodes um but i think it's well worth it and the actors who play the parents are also very good um so so yeah i actually i do give this one a big uh recommendation cool i might have to check that out now yeah worth it I Excellent, excellent. So um, the excitement in my house is that uh, we had to get my daughter a new cell phone. And uh, with that, with the new Apple cell phone, came a year of Apple TV for free. Damn. I know, right? So um, we got a year Disney TV free for something, um, I think for Verizon something with Verizon. Now we got a year free of Apple Oh yeah, TV. that's how we get ours. Yeah. Yeah. So um so with that I caught Class Action Park, the documentary about the infamous action park in New Jersey, which turns out my husband went to a number of times when he was growing up. And I guess the uh joke I guess if you could call it that, is that this thing was so badly built and managed that people got hurt. I mean, somebody died. Like, that was sort of... Is, like, it, that, is it that the rides were so dangerous? The or were rides other were, that were also so hard? dangerous. So this guy that created Action Park, like, was... I mean, he was kind of... Like, he was... He was basically a junk bond trader, like in, I guess, the 70s and 80s. Like he worked on Wall Street and he was and he was kind of a shady dude. Right. And he made a crap ton of money in and he like was hooked into the he was friends with this guy who ran. Not, it wasn't a hedge fund, but I guess it was something, you know, some sort of trading company or whatever. 
Um, I don't, I don't really know the financial world that well, so I I don't remember what it was called. And so basically like this, this one dude kind of got in trouble, I think with the SEC and ended up having to leave Wall Street, but he had his wealthy friend basically back him on this crazy idea where he like bought up all this property up. I think it was in Vernon, Vernon Township, New Jersey, which is kind Mm. of like, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half north of the city, kind of yes, northwest. It's significantly north, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he bought. So he, it, well, he didn't buy the land originally. It was on. It was on town land. It was like the land was owned owned by the town, and he basically talked them into. I am going to build this thing. It is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a huge deal for the town. It's going to bring money in because there was like I, a ski slope there i mean a ski slope like let's be real this is new jersey this was not like a ski town but the idea was well you need something here in the summer so i've got this idea let me build this action like let me build this theme park and he would basically like come up with these like wackadoodle ideas like wouldn't it be cool if we had a ride that did this and then just instead of like consulting with people who knew better would just then go ahead and build it so it was like, you know, so he's like building like this like flumey thing, but like instead of it being like open, it was actual an actual tube that you're going through and you do like a loop-de-loop. And if you weren't, if you were like too, depending on whether you were like, if you, if you didn't weigh exactly the right amount, if you were too like too light or too heavy you would either like get stuck in the tube or you would like get shot out of it like projectile like it was like all of this stuff where everything was so friggin dangerous it was like you were just like how like the like this would never be allowed like it would absolutely never be allowed and there were no grown-ups it the people that ran the park (laughs) were the teenagers there were absolutely no grown-ups there And so, except for, like, this guy who I guess sounds like an absentee owner, and it was, like, the people that were, like, in charge were 16-year-olds that were just, like, getting drunk and high in, like, some shack and then, like, going to work and watching these other... Oh, damn. Like, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It was, like, it was definitely a lawsuit waiting to happen. And, And, yeah, like, somebody died on one of the rides. And, you know, my husband was, like... I mean, my husband was like laughing through the documentary where he was just like, yeah, I remember that. And he was like talking about how there was like this one ride where it was, I mean, I don't know, it was kind of like a slide thing, but you were on this like, you were on this contraption that you could like control how fast or slow, like it was a break. But like, if you broke a certain, if you weren't on the pad thing a certain way and you hit the brake, you were actually just going to like topple off of it and <laughs> like, like go for, you know, and, and he was saying like, if you didn't have your knees angled in, like you would get like road burn all along your legs because it would be hitting the side of like this concrete and you would be going like stupid fast because again, like there was nobody that was saying, Hey, maybe this isn't such a great idea, you know? Um, and, and like there was a world, like a swimming pool that like a giant sort of wave pool that was so apparently disgusting and dirty that they would have to like every half hour tell everybody to get out so they could mm-hmm. search for the, they had to search the bottom to see if there was anybody that fell underneath and drowned. Oh and there God. were, 
Like it was so murky and oh my god, find people that like went under and drowned, and also like the waves were apparently incredibly violent. Like it wasn't like no. ah wave pool. It was like waves, hurricane force, like knocking you over, and then and then you know kids would go under and they would drown. And because the water was this so happened multiple times. This happened like there were a couple of deaths. There were a couple of deaths at Action Park. Holy Here shit. Go. Class action park. So seriously. So in a way, like it was okay. So so this is like this crazy sort of thing with this park. And the, the dude that built it was absolutely insane. And at one point the town was like tried to shut it down and he ended up just buying the um buying the property out from under the town to keep the park there and of course the question was like this was good for the parks good for the town's economy it employed a lot of people it brought a lot of people in you know um in fact you know you might remember this i don't know i i kind of vaguely do headbangers ball in the summer on mtv you yeah and do remotes from class action park. from action park yeah from class action from action with park. like ricky rackman or whoever yeah 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 yeah. he would be at action park oh no shit remotes um you know and 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 it was headbangers ball at action park and you know and i actually even remember like i remember the commercials and i don't remember if i remember the commercials from when i moved to new york um but it kind of shut down i think in by the time I was there, maybe it was only open for a few more years. But I actually think that they ran the commercials up here in Rhode Island. Because I remember seeing commercials for Action Park. Um, so it was it was kind of it was kind of a big deal in terms of like tourism and money. And so um so the town was a little like uncomfortable with just shutting them down, you know, like the town didn't want to. Um, and, and he donated a lot of money and he was kind of like a local celebrity, the guy that owned it. Right. Um, even though, even though these, you know, people were dying at, at his park cause it was so damn dangerous. Um, but you know, ultimately it's a fascinating story yet as a documentary, I don't think it quite worked. Oh, how come? I think you had like, okay, so you had the nostalgia aspect, but again, it's going to only be in the nostalgia aspect for the people who were there, right? Like the, like my husband who, who went to action park, who, you know, who could sort of sit there and say, I, you, I'm sitting there with him and he's like talking over everybody going, Oh, I remember this. And Oh, that's the ride that this happened. And Oh, you'd skin, mm -hmm. you, you know, you'd fuck up your knees on that. And I remember that wave pool, you know, and it was like, you know, and he was a daredevil and even he was kind of like, yeah, you just didn't want to like really go there. Cause you felt like you're <laughs> lose your life, you know? So, I mean, that was kind of fun, like hearing the firsthand accounts. Right. But if you don't have that, I don't know how fascinated you would find the the story although i think that there was an element of i can't believe they allowed that to happen um sort of question mark and also like the pure chutzpah of this guy who thought i can just build these amusement park rides and it'll be fine and i'm just not gonna you know it's just gonna be me and my crazy ideas and absolutely no testing for safety or anything like that like that's that's kind of ballsy um which is also kind of incredibly interesting but like uh, I don't know. It was like, then there were like these deaths, but they only got one family to talk about it. And so it was, most, oh, it was, oh, I, so oh. it was mostly like this lead yeah. up 
of like all these people that used to work there talking about how wild it was. And also like, a, like some famous people that used to go there. Like what's his name? Chris Gephardt, the comedian. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mr. Jersey himself. Yeah. yeah. Like was a big presence in this, uh, in this documentary because he, he grew, he went back to talk. He was talking about how dangerous it was and how wild it was. And so you had a few of those people sprinkled in, but then it just, there's no, there, like usually with good documentaries, there's a purpose. Like it's to tell the story of this thing that, that is, happened. That is, uh, yeah. But then there is yeah. also a, a dual purpose going on where ha like, uh, like obviously like what steps can you take to 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 fix this well you well it's shut down you know and we also know that the amusement park industry is now finally heavily regulated and a place like action park could never exist anymore so like it just kind of and and again they only had like one family of somebody who died yeah. and so and and the guy that ran it is dead now and so he and he was a pillar of this of this town and he actually ended up doing a lot of good things for the town instead of just being this wacky guy so i don't so know into that in the documentary not really it was again like this sort of add-on at the end and 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 so there was it just never felt like it was it moved much beyond this sort of hey look at this crazy place from the from the 80s and 90s you know yeah, it um, sounds like they these uh, whoever was involved with making it just got together and was like, hey, remember this? Wouldn't it be cool if we made a movie about this? But to make a really sound documentary with a coherent reason for being, um, you know, they didn't have any of the tools. No. And as sad as it is to say, like, if you can't talk to more of the survivors or families of those who died due to the park, then you don't have that much meat on the bone story yeah because all it was was just like these people with like funny stories about oh i remember the time i went to action park and came out in traction it was the best day of my life uh, do you know do you know what i mean like it, it, there was nobody there again except for this one family saying this was dangerous who allowed this to happen why wasn't there oversight you, do you know what i like you know and there was they there was no holding anybody's feet to the fire for this um and and i think that it there were valid questions. Why was this guy allowed to operate this way? Why wasn't there anybody in here looking at these crazy contraptions that he put together that were hurting people? And why weren't parents more like, why is my kid coming home from Action Park all fucked up? And again, it was, again, this sort of like passing mention, oh, well, this was like the 80s and 90s. We were all latchkey kids. Our parents didn't give a shit where we were. I'm like, yeah, that's true to a certain extent. But if I came home bloodied and bruised from a, you know an amusement park. I don't know. I feel like my parents might have said something. Probably. You know, I, I don't know. Point, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe my parents were checked out too and they wouldn't have. And I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have now that I'm thinking about it. But still, again, like you said, there was absolutely ultimately no meat on the bones with this. And it was a fun romp to sort of have with my husband and my kid and she could ask questions. And it was all like oh. very funny um but there should have been it should have been less funny and a little bit more poignant because people really did legitimately die and you know yeah. and and so it was funny it was like funny until it wasn't and and I don't think and I don't I I kind of feel like the movie makers almost 
were as reckless in with the movie as the action park dude was with the actual park. Like, I just kind of feel like it was, it was reckless to make this documentary without having anything more to say than like this bout of funny nostalgia. Right. I have been curious to watch it, but my problem is the one I've said before about HBO Max, which is not available on Roku or Fire Stick, so we don't really have a way to watch it. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here as a couple and like watch it on one of our small screens on our laptops. Right. So, F you HBO Max. And I guess I'm just not gonna see Class Action Park for a while then. No, well, I don't know that you're missing much. So, especially if you, you know, if you don't remember it. Yeah, no, it's not something I really knew about growing up. No. Yeah, and so if you didn't remember it and you didn't go, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's kind of like, oh, wow, they allowed that and that was a thing. And it was kind of fun to see, like, the headbangers ball. <laughs> uh, That's you know, the part I probably would have liked the best. It was just kind of, like, was super fun to see that. Um, you know, and so for as, as a, like, looking at something as a period piece and sort of going, oh, I wonder if, you know, the guys from Stranger Things get any inspiration from this. Um <laughs> But other than that, like, I don't, you know, as a documentary, I just didn't think that it, 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 I feel like it failed as a documentary. Wow. Well, but the thing is, I mean, it's not the subject matter. This could have been a really great documentary from what it sounds like. There's a way this could have been well done. They just did not tell it in an enlightened way. Yeah, it was, I guess like the, I almost feel like the people that made the documentary were probably the kids at Action Park and loved it and never got hurt. So it was yeah, almost that's more like a love letter almost to the to Action Park rather than anything more than that. There was no real deep digging into like who this guy was, why he did what he did, why this was okay, and why and and there had to have been some form of political corruption going on there for allowing this yeah. to to go on. Yeah, but I you know, so. particularly after people died you know so um and knowing that it was it was dangerous and also that there were no adults running things yeah well good i'm not gonna run out and watch it now you don't need to what you got next well i wasn't gonna watch this and i had no desire and Alyssa and i talked about it like we're gonna end up watching this aren't we and I was like, no, we're really cutting the cord now. We're not going to watch this like we've done with all these things before. Um, Which one? And then a couple of days ago, it just sort of happened, and Alyssa was like, hey, do you want to watch Ratchet on Netflix? And we were like, all right, let's give it a try. And, and? and we watched 10 episodes, and then we ended up watching a couple more episodes last night. That was our antidote to watching the debate that I know you ended up watching some of with your daughter. Um, so, and when I, when I said, like we cut the cord meaning we always say, we're not going to watch another one of the shows in the Ryan Murphy universe. Yeah. Whatever amount of control he has creatively, his is always the name that brands the whole thing. So I'm just going to call them Ryan Murphy shows. I don't want anyone to come at me and say, well, you know, he doesn't really do this or someone else wrote, Whatever it is, they're all in the Ryan Murphy universe. They all fall apart at exactly the same point and accelerate. And usually it falls apart by the end of episode one. So do you know much about the Ratchet show itself? 
is based on the nurse from Cuckoo's Nest, correct? Basically, it's an origin story for her. Okay. Um, now, I, I'm a big fan of the Cuckoo's Nest novel and of the movie. I love And I think Louise movie. Fletcher as Nurse Ratched is amazing. I actually think she is the secret of that movie's success as much as you might love Jack Nicholson. I think it's what she brings to the movie that, that really grounds it. Um, and she, Nurse Ratched, a character, is always on the list of like the greatest film villains of all time. Um, you know, I could go on and on about her, but the point is, Nurse Ratched is the one who presides in an insane asylum, and in representing the institution, she represents the man, the higher power, the one who does not maybe actually care about or listen to the individuals, who in this case are the inmates in the asylum. Um, I think you can go back and forth in both the book and the movie. I don't know that she is actually all wrong. You know, we are meant to look at her as a villain, but she is also someone who is presiding in an institution where McMurphy, the character played by Jack Nicholson in the movie, is lying about being mentally impaired to get out of going to jail and is riling up people, inmates who are actually mentally unstable and threatening the ability for the people who work there to do their job. So I'm saying that. What this is, um, the, the show is set in, I think, 1947 uh, in Northern California, and it's the earlier years of Nurse Ratched, as played by, um, uh, what's her name, Sarah Paulson, who's a, a regular now in the Ryan Murphy universe. Um, but it's not really an origin story, because it's not really a how she got that way. <laughs> now, whoever she acts really has nothing to do with what we see in Cuckoo's Nest. But it's she's already an adult. She's already a nurse. And she's, um, like, she, she connives her way to work at uh, this uh, facility um, where she has a connection to at least one of the inmates who's there. And she's got her own game and she's in her own agenda. Um, and uh, so it's not really a origin story because it would be more interesting to see <laughs> what she was like when she was younger. Why yeah. did she get into nursing? How did she learn to nurse? What were her problems there? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's already giving the show too much credit because it's just trying to be as sensational and like grand guignol as it possibly could. I mean, it is just... <laughs> Like, all of his shows, it is just epic and grotesque and ridiculous, and every character's motivations change from not even one episode to another, but from one scene to another. And as usual, it has an enormous budget. You know, the production values are through the roof. Gorgeous color saturation that pops. Yeah. You know, you know the cinematography is great. The editing, the makeup, the hair, the costumes, everything. Um, all, all in service of of God knows what. Um, like, the Nurse Ratched character is neither here nor there. Because sometimes she's blatantly wrong and malevolent, and sometimes she's just dealing with other authority figures that seem to also be bad. You know, the cast includes Sharon Stone in what's like a Sunset Boulevard knockoff character. She's walking around carrying a monkey uh, and a son that has no limbs. The show will explain that. Not very convincingly, either. Um, Cynthia Nixon shows up. 
playing a lesbian because yes of course Sarah Paulson's character is going to end up being a lesbian too what that has to do with Nurse Ratched as we ultimately know her I don't really know, don't know. Um, uh, Corey Stoll is in it um, uh, Judy Davis one of the great actresses of all time is in it she's the head nurse at the asylum you know as always it's a great cast I mean what can I say this show is immensely stupid and lazy. What else can I say? It is actually very easy to watch. So, uh, you know, I can watch something like Pen15 and be like, I think this is objectively well-made and I am subjectively enjoying it. Ratchet is like, this is objectively despicable. Subjectively, it's still better than the debate. Like, it's still easy enough to sit through. Um, but... I should say, there's not a lot of originality to it. You know, the stories do go where you think they would go. Almost all of them are governed by low-hanging fruit. Um, and, you know, the score itself is like a combination of the Cape Fear and the Psycho score. It's not really homage. It's really kind of like theft. You know, a lot of the scenes really evoke film noir. But again, I'm like, I've seen this in film noir. This is not a tribute. You're stealing. That sort of thing. Um, I will probably keep watching. Huh. Having said all of that. Yeah, Ryan but, Murphy makes but it But I will watch. Like, I don't, these are shows that I don't feel good watching when, when all is said and done. We watched every season of the American Horror Story show. They all start with potential, utilize a great cast, and by the third episode, go completely off the rails. Yeah. And usually they are writing it up till the last minute. And I think sometimes they are writing it just based upon which character, which actors are available for filming that week. For that I mean, day. possibly. Possibly. So, so yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Ryan Murphy makes me crazy. I think there is so much style there and very little substance. And like you said, his shit is beautiful to watch, but it just goes off the rails and really quickly. Um, and, and I just can't other watch a shit. Like, I can't. I mean, it is it is schlock, but he, I mean, he's introduced some actors that I think are, are nothing except eye candy and shouldn't have careers. But the flip side of that is he gives a lot of work to a lot of wonderful actors. Right. But there's a, a caveat there, which is the ones that he uses frequently start to rely on tricks. Even the ones that have training, even the ones that, you know, have chops to boast of, including Sarah Paulson, you start to see tricks come through. You start to see that they're not doing the work. They are relying on lazy tricks, for lack of a, a repetitive, just to be repetitive. Um, and that's, that's disappointing, too. So, um, I don't know. What can I say? I, I find myself a slave to the Ryan, Ryan Murphy universe as, as terrible as it is. Um, I the one show we have not watched is The Politician, also on Netflix. But I really thought Ratchet was going to be one I haven't seen, and well, now I'm halfway there. Uh, so there, so there we are. There we are. I wanted to say one other thing, and I know yeah. I forget you do too, but um. I mean, I could probably write a long thing or speak at length about what was one of kind of the big critically acclaimed shows of the summer, 
uh, which I just hadn't gotten a chance to talk about on the podcast, and that is I May Destroy You, which yeah, was I've on never, I don't even hear about this. Did you, um, have you read anything about it or just no? Just I, I mentioned it to you. No, nobody. I like nobody's even mentioned this to me. What is it on? Created by, um, often directed by, starring uh, a British actress named Michaela Cole. Who's oh, it's done on a lot HBO. Of it's, it's HBO. It's HBO. Yeah. Oh, that's probably yeah. that's why. Okay, okay, go ahead. And it's based on a real life incident in which she was drugged and raped, and only after the facts did she start to piece things together and and live out the trauma of the incident. And this is sort of uh, etched into a larger canvas about um, uh, sort of like millennial social media culture and and rape culture uh, in a, I guess it's sort of like a London neighborhood. Um, the, the character that Michaela Cole plays is, um, is raped and is drugged and and does eventually sort of deal and live through the trauma of it while other things are happening with her life and and her career um i i want to give the show credit for doing something i don't think it actually succeeds on its own terms in any way in portraying a certain subculture in talking about trauma you can't deny that trauma is subject matter, but I don't think its treatment of it is actually that dramatically effective or woven into the 12 episodes properly. And I know I'm going out in the limb here because I know no one wants to say that because it's a hot button show that hits on a lot of hot button topics. So I won't go into too much depth because I'm trying to be sensitive to a lot of that. Um, I think at least one argument I can make is she may be too close to the story and her experience to also be the one telling the full story. Um, but I think there are a lot of pieces that, that feel uh, dramatically inert and excessive and, and just not reined in. Um, so I don't know. To me, it's not the smashing success a lot of other people have argued that it is. Okay. Well, I'm not going to get to see it because it's HBO and until until Succession comes back, we're not signing up for it. So Class Action Park is HBO Max, right? But HBO yeah. Max has its own content and it's not all HBO or Cinemax content. Is that right. It? And well, the thing, okay, so here's the thing. We got HBO Max. But it's not, but I don't necessarily get all the HBO content. And we got HBO Max because we signed up for, I don't know why Anthony wanted to get it, but we ended up getting Hulu Live TV. I don't know why we're trying it out, but there you go. Um, and I guess it came with it or something like that. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, okay. We ended up with HBO Max, which I, but I thought Class Action Park was on Apple TV, but maybe it was on HBO Max. But I could have sworn we watched. I it. think it's on HBO Max because I thought I think it was something that we can get. We just really can't watch enjoyably, and that's our our hold up and there. That, and that, okay. We don't get. We don't have Apple TV. Period. So we wouldn't even thought to watch it. Okay. Um, if that were the case, that's why. That's why I think that. So it sounds like if you are an actual HBO subscriber, you also get HBO Max. If you are just subscribing to HBO Max, 
you only get certain content that has been curated specifically for that platform, which, like, F you, HBO. Just give me everything. Right, but if, but I think you can only, if you, you can only get everything as an HBO subscriber if you are subscribed <laughs> to cable. I think that's the trick, because when we subscribe yeah, to Hulu... That- Sounds right. Because we usually Got subscribe it. to HBO through Hulu and we can't get, and we didn't get HBO Max. It was only HBO. Okay. But well, now we've subscribed, but now we're doing something else where we crazy. now get HBO Max. So, yeah, it's all very complicated. Right? All these options, just just let cable be cable. Then it's too many. It's too many platforms for me. Well, well, now we're getting to the point with all of the different platforms and the cable networks and stuff like that, where it is probably going to start costing just as much, if not more, to have all of these. Like I couldn't believe. Like I think like the, getting like Hulu Plus Live TV is something like fifty bucks a month, and I'm like, why are we spending really? That? Yeah, it's very expensive. And for what? For commercials? Like, I don't think so. Like, I'm just kind of like, why do we have this? Like, I get like, I guess he was like, well, we'll just try it and see if we like it. Well, no, we don't. There's no reason to watch live TV. Oh, the only thing that I found that was like, okay, maybe we can keep this around is that you can get taxi. Like old episodes of taxi. Taxi, not not the 2004 movie, but Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. But the Judd Hirsch, Danny the DeVito? Judd, yeah, the Judd Hirsh, Danny DeVito. Gotcha. Yeah, the actual TV. And what I did want to say for those of you who are missing theater, because I just like on a whim had a little extra time and, and found it tonight. I was like, you know, digging around on Hulu since we have all these new, you know, things to, to uh, that I can't quite wrap my head around, like why we're paying all this money for live TV with commercials. Um, and I and I found, and I stumbled on it, and I said, well, I've got a few, you know, I've got an extra 20 minutes or so, let me watch the first episode. And I was, and I was watching, I was like, holy shit, this is just like theater. Like, it's so crazy to think about, like, how long TV had been around at that point, probably a good 20 years, right? By the time... Uh, taxi- 25, probably, 25, yeah. 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 And and to think that they were still kind of treating TV like this day, like it, like the stage, like the early, very early TV was basically theater but filmed, right? Like that's how they did it. It was like the the thing, you know, with the set and the way. Yeah, and, but the live the studio audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but but with Taxi, like obviously the set was a little bit more ornate, and it wasn't as sort of like oh yeah, this is a set we're looking at. Like this could have been um, the interior of a taxi cab. This could have been the interior of the I don't remember what they're called, but the taxi station, the, depot? the yeah. depot or whatever it's called, right? Um, but the acting, the writing, the directing, mm-hmm. all of that was very much felt like theater which was sort of but oh, but yeah. very good theater it was like very enjoy like it was actually like I was really enjoying being with these characters for that 20 odd minutes of watching this and saying this reminds me a lot of like when I see really good stage work like with the actors and the directing and the writing and 
and how they respond to each other and respond to things going on and how there's always like an extra motion to somebody who's off camera or off stage, as they say, that sort of extra motion so that that person hasn't completely disappeared um, and, and act like they never existed. Anyway, it was such a delight to watch that. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that um, listen that listen to this podcast that are theater geeks. And I will say, if you're really missing the stage, like maybe like cue up an old episode of Taxi. And at the very least, it'll it's it was very it was very sort of warming to watch. And I was kind of like, oh, this is really nice. Like this is really really nice. That's such a great find. That was an amazing show. That it was, was such a great show. That was. cast was so great. And they all had, you know, they all had come from theater. Right. So, they yeah, all they had, had that jobs. experience, except so for was, Tony Danza. Yeah. So I was kind of wondering, well, and he ended up there, right? I mean, he did a lot of theater work. And and so I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, career, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of wondering, like, what, is it because the, the majority of the cast came from live stage work that gives it that, that, that sort of feeling? Or, or was it because of the medium in the time period that it was it was filmed, it still felt more like watching a really good stage piece um, rather than like TV. Yeah, yeah, and you could probably say that for a lot of the other ones from that period that were similarly uh, filmed before a live audience. But yeah, I think it's a combination of the fact that I think all of the writers, the directors, most of the cast started and came through theater because that was what you did. Um, but I think either way, the writers were really just so solid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was really lovely to sort of like be there and, and watch this, you know, this old TV show um, from my youth and just be like, yeah, this is so good. Like, this is so good. And it's a New York that we don't have anymore. So, yeah, you know, very I think different New York, a yeah. very different New York. So I think that there was a nostalgia element built in there, too. But I'm like oh, psyched that it's there because I it was something that we were talking about introducing my daughter to and that sort of like, are there any episodes of tax? Like, where do we find episodes of taxi? And then all of a sudden to sort of stumble on it on Hulu, I was like, Whoa, this is super cool. So I can, you know, show it to Sid. Yeah, divine intervention. if ever Yeah, exactly. So that was a find. <laughs> that was a find. That's a great find. And that's a great recommendation. Yeah. That is for those who need to, to fill the theater free hole. That's a great idea. Yeah. I, I, I forgot, you know, I just kind of forgot how much the, the older TV shows really mirror stage work. So, yeah. I'm out of shit. So we've given you plenty of, no, I think it's time to call it a night. <laughs> Again, uh, for those who um, did not listen to Back on the Block, uh, a belated happy birthday to Karen. Thank you. Who, um, turned 21 in between your last Hollywood Boulevard I podcast. I can finally and, drink legally. Yep, and there's plenty of reason to these days. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so happy birthday, Karen. And Thank you guys, you. we hope you're doing well this season, uh, by which I mean the rest of 2020, uh, proves to be an interesting one. So we're here to guide you through it or give you some escape from it. Yeah, and I'm just going to put it out there. Mama needs a job. <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows anyone who's hiring for <laughs> some things, yeah, <laughs> keep Karen in mind. <laughs> we are now in, what, six months of this bullshit? 
And um, yeah, and the savings account is running dangerously low. So, um, and since stage is not coming back anytime soon, I ain't got no day job. And as much as I enjoy writing my books, they ain't paying the bills. So, um, so yeah, any leads? Holler yeah. at me. I'm all ears. Any leads? Yep. Tell your friends. We know some things. So yeah, uh, we know things. Continue to put it to great use. Be helpful. Yes. All right, my dears, um, have a wonderful week, and I guess until next time. That's right. Happy October. Until then, we'll see you on the boulevard. Bye.